Welcome back to another episode of the Away Days podcast. As always, this is Nate joining the pod from mere inches away from my belts and shoes and pants and stuff in my closet. Is this the only soundproof uh, section of my apartment? Lath, back in front of the pears at the grandparents' house. How we doing, Lay? Doing pretty good, pretty good. Kind of a slow weekend college football. I mean, there are some games, but not really much that had any kind of implications on the playoff, it would seem. So just jumping into college football. All right, I'm with it. Y'all, the uh, the attentive listener may notice something a little bit different about this podcast. We just said fuck it with the show notes. We didn't – I had like a pretty busy day at work today. Didn't uh, didn't get around to doing them. God knows Lathan going to do it. So uh, <laughs> so we didn't – we don't have much of a plan going on this podcast. Figured we'd wing it. Believe it or not, I actually I texted Ferg – when I decided that we weren't going to have just any finals, like, let's just really go off the rails. I text him, like, hey, what are you doing tonight? And he said he had class. So, oh, um, we're gonna some have to... lames out here still not graduated. But <laughs> um, uh, it's always good to have the Georgia Tech fan take on the pod. Brings well, an, an interesting perspective. It, it's literally never good to have a Georgia Tech fan on. But I, I am <laughs> curious. I would have been curious just to ask him about it, though, and see see his thoughts. But, uh, but yeah, we'll we'll start with with college football, of course. We'll first give it like an update. So both of us kind of had kind of had an empty weekend, or like in theory, I would have. I didn't end up doing it, but Georgia bye week, Auburn bye week as well, right? Yeah. yeah. So what did what did you what did you do with your free day off there, Lay? Well, I just enjoyed the other games, which is why it was a little upsetting that there weren't too many big ones on. Uh, and, I, and I also went ahead and started worrying about next week for Ole Miss too, just because it's never it too be. early to start, <laughs> never too early to start worrying for that. But yeah, a uh, couple couple games that were that were different, I guess to say the least. Did you get to see any of that uh, that Penn State and the Illinois game? Yeah. So despite the off week, I still made the trip to Athens. Um, a couple oh. hour couple hour road trip because my girlfriend was running in a half marathon, um, which was actually really cool. To see, not to run in one. God, no, I would, I would not do that. But I watching it was kind of cool. Um, well, at least like watching, like you kind of you find because you know, we went to like the six mile marker and saw her then, and then basically went to the finish line and saw her then. So it's not like you're really watching much of it, but it's just kind of cool to. It was a cool atmosphere, I'll say. But yeah, so I didn't see a ton of, especially the earlier games. Um, I did watch some of Oklahoma State. I did watch some of Oklahoma. Uh, I did watch a little bit of like kind of that mid afternoon window, but but no, I didn't catch I didn't catch any any of Penn State, Illinois, which, you know, I think I don't know, I'm not sure if by time, but it's definitely in terms of like overtimes, the longest game in college football history, nine OTs. Uh, I really, I really wish I had watched it. And I'd like to go back. I'm sure there's a long cut of highlights uh, where basically you can watch the entire overtime period. Because honestly, that's all you need to see. I feel like, but um, but you did watch it. So so tell us tell us what you got on there. What? Well, first of all, how did I know the new overtime rule was in effect? Where like, what is it after the third? It's just two point conversion plays every time, or or what was going on? Yeah, it's actually. I think they moved it to after the second. Or no, once you get into the second overtime, then you have to start going for two. And then once you get into the third, that's when it gets to you start from the two-yard line, and it's basically you're just going one play at a time until somebody scores. So, you know, it's interesting that that rule is implemented to decrease the time and, like, the stress on the players. But this ended up being the longest, I guess, like you're right, just in terms of periods. But it was pretty exciting. I gotta admit, you know, when they when they reintroduced those rules, I think it was they kind of started messing with it. I guess last season, I wasn't super thrilled just because I like overtime the way it was. I thought it was like a fun deal to watch, but to kind of see this new element where it's just guys going back and forth, it, you really just get hyped for that one play and say, okay, if they score here, then it's it's over with, and then uh, they got a chance to match, and that's it. But it was a really interesting dynamic to kind of see that play out. Yeah, I'm not because I think. The rule where you had to start going for two, but again, you started at the 25 or whatever, but like if you scored a touchdown, you then had to go for two after the second overtime, I think, or maybe even with the second one. That one started because of the Texas A&M LSU game from like 2018 or 2019 where that one went to seven overtimes. But that was like, if I remember correctly, that was with the normal 
old rules where no enforced two-point conversion, just score, kick an extra point or score, go for two, whatever. But they ended up going seven every time. So they're like, okay, we want to avoid that. So this is supposed to be even another layer beyond forcing you to go for two. They're just saying, hey, straight up one play. Yeah. Like, I, I'm assuming the reason they came up with this rule is to avoid things like what happened happening again. Um, well, you know, the main thing they wanted to avoid was Ed Orzeron getting the Gatorade dumped on him prematurely and then going home with a sticky loss instead mm. of just a loss. So I think that that was probably the main thing at play. But uh, Yeah. It was it was a fun one. I, I you should hopefully yeah you should go back and kind of watch it. It almost seemed like nobody wanted to win this game because there were like three or four drops where the play was open, uh, like the one the two yard play was open and they just couldn't bring it in. So I don't know. It was it was really cool to see. Well, yeah, I'm looking at the box score here, and of course it normally would show you you know first quarter score, second quarter score, third quarter score, fourth quarter. And it also shows OT, but it only goes back to OT4, so I can't actually see anything further back than that. But in overtimes 4, 5, 6, and 7, neither team scored their two-point play, um, which is honestly really surprising. Like, scoring from two yards out, especially, like, looking at Illinois' stats, and not to make this the Illinois' pod, because I know nobody really cares about it that much, but their quarterback threw for 38 total yards in an interception. Like... You know, so obviously the passing the ball is not going to work, but then rush, running the ball, 33 carries, 223 yards for a running back, Chase Brown. So just why are you not just handing the ball off every single yeah. time in there if you're Illinois? you probably score a few times. But um, but you talk about games that not having a ton of playoff implications. Well, this is one that shouldn't have had playoff implications, but now it definitely ends any, any of the most optimistic Penn State fans' goals of making a cultural playoff are definitely crushed um, with that one as they now have two losses. And I haven't seen the newest AP poll, but I'm sure they dropped well outside the top ten. Yeah, they actually dropped right behind us, which is interesting considering they beat us. But I think the biggest thing you take for what you start to think about when you see this is Penn State still got some games down there that that would have kept them in the mix. Can they still maintain the kind of intensity that they would have if they were going in knowing they still had a chance, still playing these big guys like Michigan and Ohio State potentially. So I'm hoping that they can still kind of keep that fire up despite having kind of a disappointing end to their playoff hopes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Elsewhere, a game I kept an eye on, um, Oklahoma State at Iowa State. I remember we talked about this spread on the pod last week. I, Oklahoma State opening a seven-point underdogs, and it stayed that way the whole week at kickoff. Oklahoma State still seven-point underdogs. Some of the easiest money I've ever made because they covered, but they did lose Iowa State, um, taking them down 24-21. So that ends, you know, Oklahoma State basically had to run the table and go undefeated, I think, to have any chance at a playoff. Um, And I guess Vegas knew that they were frauds because we're (laughs) big underdogs, honestly, against an unranked Iowa State team. But elsewhere in the Sooner State, though. Oklahoma, did you get to watch any of that? Because this is what most of my limited football viewing went toward, was number three Oklahoma at Kansas. Oklahoma was 38.5-point favorites and found themselves trailing in the fourth quarter. And honestly, I'm pissed off. The Jayhawks, I would have, that would have been so cool if they could have won. Um, and they honestly had such a good chance to do it. But I'm not sure how much of that game you saw. But Kansas... I'm not going to say they deserved the win because ultimately they did lose by over 10 points, I think. But if a couple of plays went their way, like Rock Chalk Jayhawk would have had a chance to, I think would have been the second biggest point spread upset in the past 25 years in terms of, you know, wow. largest gap in the in the pregame spread. So curious what, what you made of made of Oklahoma. Because you were all riding high on this, on this Oklahoma quarterback, Williams, and now he kind of comes back. <laughs> I don't well, even want to say it comes back to earth. That's like sub terror. That's sub like, digging, digging a hole. Like that's a hard. He had a horrible game until that fourth quarter, really. Yeah. Well, I mean, he finished the game fifteen for twenty, uh, two touchdowns, and I think he had another one on the ground. And I, I don't know. I don't know if I'd say I was riding him high. I was riding him higher than Spencer Rattler, but that doesn't seem that to be too hard to do these days. But really, just watching this game, Kansas came out and had a good plan, good defense. I think it held them scoreless uh, for the entire first half. So. I was really yeah, was rooting 10 to for them. Halftime. Yeah, really rooting for them the whole time, especially after I don't know if you remember. Remember they had uh, Les Miles they hired a few years ago, and they kind of thought that would be the culture change they needed. And then he had some allegations, and they had to get rid of him. So just a program that was really just 
down in the dumps looking like there's nothing coming from him. That would have been a really big win for him. So a little bit upset to see that not happen. Well, they Kansas had been having a horrible year. That's another thing that would have made it just truly unbelievable is like, it's not like it's a kind of up and coming Kansas team that maybe he's got a really young team with a new coach. I think that's going to be good. Like they were one in five. They'd been losing games by a huge margin. I mean, week before lost 41 to 14 to Texas tech got beat 59 to seven by Iowa state Duke hung 52 on them. Um, you know, they lost to South Dakota earlier in the year. Coastal put 49 on them. So not a very good Kansas team, but I saw a really funny TikTok actually after the game about it was from the stands at the Kansas game. The caption said something like best atmosphere in college football. And it showed that neither of the Jumbotron scoreboard things worked. They were both black <laughs> in the middle of the game. This the stands are basically basically empty. And again, like neither neither scoreboard worked at all. So it was it was pretty funny. That would have been probably the most interesting field rush of like 25 people you've ever seen well you know i I turned the game on earlier and there was nobody in because it was an earlier game there was like no one in the stands but by the end of the game it was not packed but there were more people so you got to think they were just downtown enjoying themselves yeah hey hey we're we're in this (laughs) and then kind of stuck back in but that's that was funny no that reminds me of uh there was a georgia baseball game when I was there, like, I think this was a couple years ago where, and I mean, Georgia fans, like, I mean, I like Georgia baseball and Athens is like a, a solid college baseball town, like more than most, but you know, it's obviously baseball's the, the second biggest sport. If, if not, maybe third, even behind something like gymnastics, even maybe, but, um, <laughs> but anyway, so the baseball team is playing at home. I don't even remember who they were playing, but, um, it's just, just some game going on like a Thursday night and everybody's downtown and, um, all of a sudden, you kind of look up, and people keep tracking the score. It was in, like, the 13th inning, and all of a sudden, it was, like, after downtown was getting ready to close. Like, it's, like, after midnight, and so a ton of people, a ton of students went straight from the bars to the game, and all of a sudden, where there was nobody in there but the parents, and probably not even the parents, because right? you're talking about after midnight in a midweek college baseball game, all of a sudden, there's this huge drunk crowd of students <laughs> in there, Um and one of my friends was was one of the guys that went, and Georgia ends up winning. And uh, Scott Strickland, the head baseball coach, after the game, um, he like set up a time later the next week for every student that came to the game to come take BP at the field oh. in next week's practice. Yeah, that's awesome. Because uh, he was like, "Yeah, this is awesome." Like, you know, <laughs> that's that so. uh, that delayed home field advantage right there. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely the away team was not expecting that. That's for sure. Um, but anyway, looking kind of through the rest of the college football slate, did you watch any of Tennessee at Bama? I know yeah. that scoreline kind of – the balls hung around a little bit. Like, And obviously Bama ends up taking care of business 52-24. to But, you know, I don't want to believe that Tennessee is a little decent. A little decent? Or is this just kind of Bama again just kind of being a little not Bama-like like they've been this season? You know, I think if the Vols had any kind of defense, they would have been in this game even longer than they were – and that kind of seems to be the problem with them. I just – I don't know how they're going to fix that. You know, Hypo was never a guy that was known for defense. I mean, even – this is kind of what the score lines looked like when he was at UCF, just blowing a team out but still giving up like 20 or 30. So, you know, they're going to be a team that brings some offense with them. They're going to be able to throw the ball down the field. But, man, if they had a defense, they might be able to compete and do some things in the East. But right at the moment, I, that's just not the case. Yeah. I'm I'm not worried about them as a team that Georgia has to travel to uh, here in a few weeks, but like you know, I was kind of hoping Alabama would just blow them out. Well, I was either hoping Tennessee would beat them because that'd be hilarious, or <laughs> Alabama would blow them out, and kind of neither of those really happened. So kind of a lose lose for me there. But I want to talk quickly about you mentioned Ole Miss off the top. How you're how you're already sweating them. So if you're already worried about them, did you watch them play LSU? Because that was a pretty convincing win for the Rebels. Yeah, I watched a little bit of it at first um, just because I was curious. I know they mentioned that Matt Corral was kind of dealing with an injury, so I was wanting to see if he, how he looked and whether he was going to be replaced. Didn't watch a ton of that game, though, but I think, what was it, like 31-17 at the end? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it's kind of the same story it's been. The Ole Miss defense looking okay, not great, and then the offense really – firing on all cylinders so that's going to be something that Auburn's going to have to to try to get ready for next week and I don't know it's going to be an interesting matchup 
So I saw that Auburn opened as one point favorites. I know it's at home, really, but yeah, I, that's that was my reaction as well. <laughs> I haven't I haven't heard the word favorites in Auburn in the same sentence in a while. So well, it's that it's that October November Jordan Hare voodoo. Everybody knows it mm. exists. Now I think Auburn's going to save it all up for Bama here in a, here in a few weeks. But <laughs> um, so I, I don't I don't know how confident I feel about Auburn getting a result in this one. But I, yeah, Ole Miss looked pretty strong, and I'll say. You know they're not a team that, as a Georgia fan, I would nece- that I would want to see necessarily in in Atlanta come SEC championship time. I know a lot of things would have to happen. Um, Bama would have to lose again, and really the only losable game on their schedule, I guess, is probably Auburn left. I don't I don't know that they have too much trouble ahead of them, but but yeah, Ole Miss. Meanwhile, they actually have a pretty tough schedule going forward, but they probably have the best offense. Mm. Um, not even probably. I think they do have the best offense in the SEC. Um, it's just a matter of like, can that defense do enough to to you know win win some closer games? But looking at Ole Miss's schedule, travel to Auburn, then they play Liberty, which is kind of an interesting matchup there. I wonder what the over under on that's going to be. Got to be yeah. unbelievable. Then Texas A and M at home, get Vandy at home, and then travel to Mississippi State, which is always a pretty good game for some reason um, when the when the Egg Bowl rivals get together, but. I guess, what are your thoughts? I mean, do you think Auburn's going to win next week? Because if so, you probably don't think – because the, the question I was going to pose to you is, like, if not Bama, who gets out of that SEC West? Because if Bama were to lose again, it all of a sudden gets really interesting between a team like Texas A&M and Ole Miss. Auburn's yeah. out of the running. But is Auburn potentially in a spot to play spoiler here, or do you think A&M and Alabama are really the only contenders in the West? I think well, I think right now the West is up for grabs. I mean, even though I don't feel like Auburn is going to be that spot, I, I mean, it's it's open for everyone. Um, I think in terms of this matchup, though, you know, I go back to the Alabama and Ole Miss game where Alabama really kind of got in that kind of old school football and just ran it down their throats. And that's kind of been Auburn's M.O. this season, you know, with the Bobo offense getting Jarquez and Tank going and then opening up the game with some past, uh, some play action later on. So I think it's set up to where we might be able to put some points on him. It's just going to come down to what's really been a weakness for our defense in the secondary. Can they stop that Ole Miss passing attack? And so I don't know. I don't want to say this is going to be a shootout. I wouldn't mind it being one, but I don't. it's just going to be – it's all going to come down to that defense. And I, frankly, at the moment, I'm not too excited about how our defense has looked for me to be eager about this game. But I don't see how you're – I don't see how you – want a shootout because not three pods ago you're talking about how much you would kill for just a decent offense even if your team lost like do you really think Auburn could that offense has a, a chance to keep up with Ole Miss I think I think your defense maybe has a better chance of holding them to 24 28 than than your offense does of hanging 35 on them yeah I, main reason I say I wouldn't mind a shootout is because if there's a shootout that means our offense is clicking and I, I just enjoy watching the offense when it actually works after four years of it not working. But you're right. It probably would be in our best bet to be able to hold them down and then let the offense muster up a little bit. But I don't – I mean, they looked really, really vulnerable against the run against Bama. And granted, I know it's Bama, but that's really been a strong suit for Auburn going into these next couple games. So I'm hoping we can capitalize on that. Yeah, well, Ole Miss coming off a, a nice win at home against LSU and – I don't actually want to talk LSU football because I want to use this as a transition to the NFL. But we're talking about Coach O, obviously, having been let go but not really let go, which I think is one of the dumbest, most perplexing decisions I've seen in coaching and college football in a while. The fact that you keep the your lame duck head coach around for the rest of the season knowing he's gone at the end. like that just I just don't see how any player could possibly buy into that. But anyway, yeah. in the aftermath of Coach O getting let go, you hear a lot of people say, like, oh, like, you know, he's actually a good coach. He's just, like, one, you know, a little over a year removed from a national championship. Like, they were one of the greatest college football teams of all time, and that's true. But if anything, in hindsight, now, a couple years, a year later, after that undefeated season from LSU, what that those players, what that offense particularly has gone on and done in the NFL makes that case even more so that like yes that team was an all-time great one but that's like literally lightning in a bottle it's never going to happen again because listening to monday night countdown here today talking about jamar chase who has had the best start to an nfl season as a rookie since randy moss again who was on the show 
his stat line so far this season, 35 receptions, 754 yards, six touchdowns. Like he's going to go well over 1,000 yards. I mean, we're not even halfway through the NFL season. Going to go well over 1,000 yards, well over 10 touchdowns. He's right now the front runner for Offensive Rookie of the Year. Then you got literally last year in Justin Jefferson, who was on that same LSU team, a guy that would have won Offensive Rookie of the Year if not for Justin Herbert, who had an unreal season. But Justin Jefferson, his stat line from last year, 88 catches for 1,400 yards and seven touchdowns, the most receiving yards by a rookie since Randy Moss. Both of those guys on the same team. Then you got Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who has been a strong contributor on a good Kansas City Chiefs team, and now Joe Burrow at quarterback, who after you know tearing his ACL last year, has the Bengals as the number one overall seed <laughs> in the AFC. Like we're never. I mean, you can go back to the 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 best Bama teams, the best Miami Hurricanes teams. Like in terms of just offensive skill, I don't think there's you can find a team in the past, and there's never going to be one in the future where. Every single one of those guys went on to be the NFL players that that LSU team, and that just made me look back and say, well, "Like, wow, that LSU team was unreal." And that, and people should not like crush Coach O for not being able to keep that going because he he was just never that good. Like that team was just unreal. Like, tell me I'm wrong or tell me I'm right there, like. No, I I completely agree with that. And you know, I I kind of mentioned I just Coach O was a guy I think was a culture guy. I think at the time people really bought into kind of his charisma that he had about him. But I don't think he was a coach that was when it got close, he wasn't going to win you games. But, you know, lucky for him, he had a team where he didn't even have to be put in that position. They just took care of business for him. So, and keep in mind that Jamar Chase, this is a guy who opted out the entire college football season last year. The man hadn't even played football in a whole calendar year. And then he comes out here doing this. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, talk about not having to be, you know, coaching him to win games. Looking at that season where they went undefeated, fifty-five to three, forty-five to thirty-eight against Texas early on, but then sixty-five to fourteen, sixty-six to thirty-eight, forty-two to six, forty-two twenty-eight, thirty-six thirteen. Then um, close one at Auburn was actually at that game, twenty-three twenty. Mm-hmm. Kind of a close one against Bama, but like there was three one-possession games ish in that whole season. Like where it didn't really matter because they were just blowing the doors off of everybody. But again, I said I wanted to use that as a, as a jumping point to the NFL. Pretty wild last couple of weeks because there's I guess the only real consistency is the Cardinals keep winning. They're now at seven and zero. But we're talking about the Bengals. I'm hesitant to even bring this up because my Browns are looking like probably the third best team in their own division. When I think preseason everybody would have pre- predicted them to win it, but. Who is going to like take the reins in this AFC North? We've gone from probably preseason Chiefs thinking they're the best, then Chargers had a really strong start and are still in a good spot at 4-2. and two. Then Bills were world beaters until they get their ass handed to them by the Titans, who then do that same thing to the Chiefs. So are the Titans the legit team in the AFC? The Bengals sitting there is technically the number one overall seed right now. You got a lot of 5-2 and two teams slash 4-2 and two if you throw in the Bills. But Raiders at 5-2, and two, Bengals at 5-2, and two, Ravens at 5-2, and two, who the Bengals just blew out. And then the Titans. Lath, if I put a gun to your head right now and say, pick the AFC champion out of that group, who are you going with? Oof. AFC champion out of that group. Let me make sure I got my, my stuff pulled up here. Um, Man, I think I'd still go with Buffalo. I think that the, the last game, it was really close, and it could have gone either way. Um, and I think that just there's a lot more maturity there in terms of being in this position before with the uh, – Josh Allen and just Stephon Diggs and just kind of that coaching staff they have there. So I think they're a better season to it. But man, the Tennessee team as well, that's I think that might put them in number two because they can just enforce their will on the ground. And now you know with the added benefits of having AJ Brown and Julio in the passing game, it's they just look like a really well balanced team too. So I would say Buffalo one and maybe Tennessee second. Yeah, Tennessee, I was kind of down on them after the first two or three games where they didn't look great but you can't do much better than a big win against the bills in prime time and then a big win against the chiefs i mean that chief they blew the chiefs out um mm. actually that was kind of the theme of this past sunday and really like Bengals with a big blowout win too um but yeah it's this afc is just wide open and plus when you look at some of these two lost teams 
four of the six of them are in the same division. That AFC West has the Raiders and Chargers, and then the AFC North has the Bengals and Ravens. Not to mention the Browns at four and three is not a bad record, and they're just third in that division. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know really what what to make of it. I guess you still lean Bills, but I, I don't, I don't know how much faith I have in the Raiders either. But yeah, that's that AFC is just so wide open, and because of how many good teams there are at that at that two loss spot like how early is too early to 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 shut the door on a team like the Chiefs chances who are sitting at three and four like if these other teams are going to keep winning especially in their division I don't think they can afford to to lose six games really like it's it's going to be a a tough climb back now of course they are the Chiefs but that defense is basically last in the league in really every category um, I think they're last in the league in turnovers um, and turnover differential and other things too. You know, where are you on them and, and how soon is too soon to say, you know what, like, is this even a playoff team? Because I think, you know, I don't know who they play next week, but I, I don't want to call next week a must win, but we're getting close to where it's, it's a must win for the Chiefs. Yeah, I was going to say, I think I might give them one more loss, uh, especially with how the other teams are doing. But, you know, this, this Chiefs team, I know we kind of talked about this in an earlier pod, I kind of chalked it up to just having the new line there and everything, getting getting the chemistry back. But really, it's just been all downhill since then. You know, they can't run the ball. The defense looks bad. Mahomes, people are starting to say, oh, they've figured them out. I don't know if I would say that. But uh, this team, I don't, I don't know. This is another one. What was it that I said uh, I was confounded by uh, a few weeks A&M. ago? Yeah, he A&M. still confounds me, to be honest, but... <laughs> Yeah, this is this is that that A and M treatment team right now. I don't I don't know what it is that they've got that's going wrong, but I don't know if they've got enough time to write the ship at this point. Yeah, you talk about having figured Mahomes out. I don't think it's that literally, but no. to a point, there is a point to that. Whereas the Titans only blitzed Mahomes on like ten percent of his dropbacks last, you know, last week. The Bills did a similar thing. Patrick Mahomes right now is the least blitzed quarterback in the NFL because teams have figured out if you blitz him and give man-to-man coverage for these wide receivers, he's going to pick you apart. But if you make the guys have to just get open, like just send guys back to cover and have a, have a guy down low, a spy or something to kind of clean up Mahomes on the scramble, like that's the way to stop that offense. And the Chiefs, I mean, that, I mean the Titans, excuse me, had it like that was the perfect game plan. I mean, they were shutting them out until the second until the second half. I mean, Chiefs only mustered three points. They lost twenty-seven to three. So, you know, I hesitate. I agree. I hesitate to use the phrase "figured Mahomes out," but it's clear that that lack of a blitz or that kind of play deep and, and cover everybody strategy is working really well for them. And now, I kind of want to play this game here too while we're on the Chiefs. So they do get the Giants at home next week. That's we're going to assume as a win. But I'm going to read off the remainder of their schedule, and I want you. Without trying to do much, too, too much mental math in your head of calculating a record, in your own head, think about how many of these games that they win. Tell me at the end if they're a playoff team for you. So we got Giants at home next week, then home against the Packers, travel to the Raiders, home against the Cowboys, home against the Broncos, home against the Ravers, Raiders, excuse me, travel to the Chargers, home against the Steelers, travel to the Bengals, and travel to the Broncos. So quick, five seconds. Is that a playoff team? I think of that there's at least three losses, so I'm going to say no. I don't think that's a playoff team. Yeah, I see four, maybe five, like very losable games. Packers, Raiders, Cowboys. They get Raiders twice even. You'd think they probably drop one of those, I'd think. Mm. But Packers, Raiders twice, Cowboys, Chargers, Bengals. Like even ah, – they'll beat the Steelers, but – like that's that's not an easy run in, and again, already sitting at four losses. I think the absolute most they could afford to lose is, is maybe three more, but I think that's even a stretch given how yeah. strong that division currently is. So wow, like real, real changing of the guard it seems kind of in the AFC, which I know we've used that phrasing um, in earlier pods. But uh, quick look at the NFC. I I also really didn't watch a ton of NFL uh, this weekend. My fantasy team got their ass beat. Um, in the league that I that I care about, and I kind of figured I would because this was like the bye week of all bye weeks. I don't know if you were hurt as much as a lot of teams were, but like I was, I was reading Matthew Berry, one of ESPN's fantasy guys, and he said that like since 
they've been keeping track of this, which goes back, I think, to like, you know, early 2000s, maybe, I think, like 2002. Um, this week has had the most of the top 50 players in fantasy out either through buy or injuries, like, ever, or like, since they've been yeah. keeping up with that stat. So, like, I was hurting bad. So, like, when my when my fantasy t- team isn't in it and I'm driving back from Athens, I'm in the car, it was just kind of hard for me to really get get G'd up for the NFL. I don't know what your what your Sunday watch watching experience was like. Yeah, I had uh, uh, Bills didn't play, so that put out Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen for me, which is brutal. And then uh, I know it was National Tight End Day, but I guess Darren Waller decided to celebrate by deciding not to play at around 2.30 p.m. So I still – somehow I squeaked by with a dub. I don't know if I had a weak opponent or not, but that was that one was a little bit of a nail-biter for me. Yeah, I haven't even really checked in the league that we're in. I, th- I think I'm projected to win still because I've got a couple guys going tonight, but it looks like it's going to be an ugly, rainy game tonight again after after last night was the same way. Did you watch any of that, Niners? Because that was – I've watched a lot of football, and I know you and I have played in some rainy football games. That's probably the most moist football game I've ever <laughs> – like, it was just – one of those where I couldn't help but feel bad for the 49ers because I didn't, I'll be honest, I didn't stay up and watch the whole thing. But I woke up and it's like, there's nothing worse than losing a game like that because yeah. it's miserable even if you win. Like, you're just soaked, you're freezing. Like, and not to mention, you've been soaked for like three hours straight at this point. Like, it's definitely miserable. But at least if you win, you kind of look back on it fondly. Like, you yeah. can get nothing out of it if you lose. Uh, it's funny. I don't want to get too deep into the fantasy weeds here. Uh, but going into the game, I needed Debo Samuel to score at least 20 points for me to win. And, uh, you know, that you see the weather and you hear, like, the announcers, like, may just have to have a grounded pound for this one for the rest of time. And I'm thinking, no, no, I can't have that. But he ended up getting 21 for me. So kept throwing the ball in the air, trusting themselves. That was, that was a brutal one, though. You're right. Going home as a loser with the wetness on, that's never a move. Yeah, uh, it just looked gross. And, like, just seeing, like, the Colts, the numbers on the Colts jersey looked black because the blue is just yeah. so soaked with water. You couldn't couldn't see, like, a lot of dropped passes, a lot of, you know, fumbled snaps, that sort of thing. I uh, Looking at that, I would kind of had a little bit of a rough week on the betting slate, so I was not rough, but, like, could have been better. Um, basically, the Bears are on the blacklist, never watching a freaking Bears game again because <laughs> I had a – Basically, a bunch of games that I bet on were in a teaser where you can kind of make the lines better by giving, you know, by adding more games to it. But anyway, I was going to stand to make a good chunk of change as long as the Bears didn't get beat by over 18 and a half, which is a lot of points in the NFL. And they get beat 38 to 3. <laughs> so, like, I don't, I, I think it was like, I also think it was 28 to 3 in the first half anyway. So I was, I was pissed off about the Bears. But anyway, so I was, you know, Seeing seeing the fact that it was going to be a rainy game, I was like, okay, you know, maybe I'll take the under in the points, you know, and then first drive, 49ers score in like eight plays, and then Wentz and the Colts like fumble or something, and then turn around and around, and the uh, 49ers get another field goal, and long story short, that under didn't get anywhere close, so uh, rough. Maybe you, you benefited from the weather game. I, I did not, unfortunately. <laughs> But quick, uh, while we're on it, we're not going to make any picks this week because, again, with no planning, that's kind of the one thing that absolutely requires planning is setting what the uh, what the bigger games of the week are. But we will do this like, since we got Monday Night Football coming up tonight. Seahawks at home against the Saints. Again, I think that same similar weather yuckiness is sticking around in Seattle because, again, that's not super far from Northern California, San Francisco Bay Area. So they're dealing with a little bit of the same thing. I think the Saints are slight favorites. I think we had this in our picks last week, so I can rehash what we had. I was about to have you make the pick, but no, I think we already did. So I have, and we both have the Saints. I have 27-22. You have 27-21. How original there, Lath. <laughs> but Saints, three-and-a-half-point favorites. Are we still feeling confident in that? Yeah, I think so, just because Russ is still not back, right? I'm right yeah. saying that. Yeah, I have I'd, him on my so fancy I... team. He's definitely not. If he was, I think I would go with Seattle in this game. But I think, given the circumstances, you just I, you can't trust him. I think the Saints squeak by. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I may not even watch this game. I like me some football, but I got the new <laughs> FIFA. Oh, made. you did. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Ultimate Team pissing me the hell off as it, as it do, but uh, not packing anybody. But that's okay. You're not people here aren't aren't here for that content. You can stick around for the 
for the post-show pod that we don't do. But anyway, um, before we move on to, to a little bit of soccer, because I do want to talk Arsenal with a big win on a Friday night. It's kind of mm-hmm. interesting. I don't don't see a ton of that in the Premier League. So I do want to talk a little bit of that. And I don't know, Byron, I'm sure, maybe played, and you can have five seconds to talk about that. But I want to recap, since we're not making any picks, I want to at least recap what we did last week. Um, this is my first time even looking at it, so live reaction here. Looking at college football, Coastal Carolina at App State both had the Chanticleers, big fat L there, double L for me because I actually bet on Coastal as well. Then Oklahoma State at Iowa State, we both had Oklahoma State, tough one for us there, but a nice rebound as Ole Miss uh, got the win over LSU, we both had them. Uh, not sure what that brings our season record to, but I think I'm definitely still ahead of you since we since we tied this week. Then in the NFL, Chiefs at Titans, both. God, our NFL record is horrible. That's that's a couple of losses for us. Another couple of losses with the Bengals at the Ravens, as we both had uh, hey, well, Baltimore. I had that. Uh, I remember I swapped. Yes, you swapped, but, okay, you swapped. But do your own due diligence and change what you wrote in the doc then, too, because you, know, you left your Ravens on there. So we'll give you a we'll give you a point seven five win since he didn't he didn't uh, okay. change it in the dot. Not that it matters. So let's look at our let's look at our NFL record here. I'm eight and nine with two more losses. That brings me to eight and ten, depending on what the Saints do. I could at best get to nine and ten. You're at seven and I guess seven and or eight and eleven if you count your switch to the Bengals. So uh yeah, that's that's rough. And then both on the Saints. Just to be contrarian, fuck it. I'll take Seahawks tonight. Sure, why not? Can't can't get any worse. Home dogs, I'll I'll back them. Hmm. All right. Normally we take a quick break. I say screw it. Let's just keep rolling into soccer. I want to talk Arsenal right this very second. So again, bummer. Really didn't get to watch a whole lot of this because I was at work. Given that it was a Friday at like three o'clock, but a uh, a nice win for the Gunners over Aston Villa, three one. Ended up being kind of kind of sweaty at the end when it really shouldn't have been. Um, Arsenal were controlling the game the entire way, up 3-0 for much of it, and then conceded a goal with about 15, 20 minutes left that kind of made you feel like, oh, no, is Villa about to get back in the game? But Thomas Partey with his first goal in an Arsenal shirt, which, again, he's not a goal-scoring midfielder, but, God, he's been there for a long time for that to have been his first goal. Um, Aubameyang getting a goal right before the end of the first half on a rebound penalty. And then ML Smith Rowe attacking the third one on, which ended up being, you know, not necessary as they won three one. But you'd feel they felt a lot better having still a two goal cushion than if that had been two one with about twenty minutes left to play. But anyway, with that win, now I think tied on points with uh, quite a few teams now. Um, not not up at the top of the Premier League, but still solidly in mid table. I think that brings them to tenth. Yeah, but tied tied for seventh with Manchester United, who got their brains beat in by Liverpool. So before I just bounce around with all these scorelines, anything you want to talk Premier League? Did, did did you watch any of this? Maybe the Liverpool-United game? Uh, Yeah, I watched a little bit of the Liverpool and the United game, and that kind of brings me to something I want to ask you. You know, we mentioned Ola kind of goes through the kind of ebbs and flows of his management where he, he gets down and then he kind of saves them. But at this point, it kind of looks like they're starting to looking to replace him. And the name that I saw, I don't know if you've seen this, is uh, Antonio Conte. So I, I don't know how I feel about this. You being like a self-described, I guess, semi-inter fan. I think you, the word I've come up with is inter-sympathizer. Yeah, that, okay, yeah. Describes inter, my inter, level of fandom. <laughs> <laughs> inter-sympathizer. Well, can you sympathize with Conte as to why he would take this Manchester United job? And do you think that that's a fit for him, having watched him coach at Inter? So first of all, I'll go ahead and get this out there. I don't want him to do that because I think that would make them a lot better. Um, I saw a really funny um, uh, meme the other, a tweet. It's talking about like Pep Guardiola playing 40 chess, puts out the rumor in the summer that he wants to sign Ronaldo, knowing that Manchester United won't let that happen and they'll beat him to it, knowing that Ronaldo will then save United and thus save Ole's job and keep them being trash because Ole's the manager. <laughs> and so it was like Pep, Pep like mind fuck over here. But anyway. I, yes, I do think Ole is holding them back, so I don't want them. I'm very much Ole in at the moment, very much Glazers yeah. in. Um, <laughs> but so yes, I think he would be, you know, if not a good fit, at least better than than Solskjaer is. But an interesting thing that I've seen is in past press conferences, Conte has said that he, you know, 
would in general not want to join a club mid-season because he likes to have the offseason and a transfer window to kind of put his own imprint on things. And I can certainly get why. Like, that's a very difficult thing to do to come in mid-season and really change a team's fortunes. But apparently he is, like he said, that the team he'll break his personal rule of that for is Manchester United. And at this point, I think it's very obvious Ole is on the way out. Mm. You know, Conte is probably the hottest manager on the the market right now, given that he's coming off a Serie A title victory with Inter um, and turned them into a really strong side. You know, I'm not... It's just very clear that Ole isn't getting the best out of that Inter team. Will Conte do that? I don't know, maybe. But he'll certainly, even if he doesn't get the most out of United, he'll get more than what Ole is getting, I think, at the moment. Well, um, just again, this United side with the talent that they've got, Ronaldo, Jaden Sancho, um, and and I almost said Harry Maguire in that, but he's a big money signing. Like I don't, yeah. I, he's not a guy you think of as being talented. Like they've got <clears throat> they've got tons of talent at the back with Maguire and Juan Bissaka and still David de Gea. Bring in Rafael Varane. You know, there's just too much talent on this team to be seventh. Like again, you're tied with Arsenal right now, and we're not good. So, but, um, uh, you know, it's interesting yeah. though. Like tactically, he's always been a guy. I know at Inter he used it always a lot. Um, was the the back five or the three with kind of the two wing backs uh and Manchester United is a team that has just a lot of forwards that don't play a lot of defense so seeing him in terms of I I guess it makes more sense of why he would want to get there kind of bring in his own players I'm interested to see if he could kind of adapt that uh to his style play or whether he would kind of keep the 4-2-3-1 they've been playing but also aside from that I remember I, I when I was looking at this I read a tweet that somebody said like well why would we want him he's just gonna bounce after like a year and a half or two so do you think if he if he were to go, would he stay there longer than the one or two years that he's accustomed to staying at clubs? I mean, I don't think really that you will see too many high-profile managers who, like, that isn't their first stop. You know, like, I, I think the, the definitely the, the era of guys like Arsene Wenger being there for a decade are certainly over. Sir Alex yeah. Ferguson, the same thing. But I think we're even approaching the end – I think the Pep Guardiola's and the Jurgen Klopp's are kind of a dying breed at this point as well. And it's actually Pep Guardiola was kind of one of the bigger managers that were bringing about the end of the Wenger era because Pep Guardiola, as good as a manager as he was, never really stayed anywhere longer than five years, I think, four years. Mm -hmm. City's the longest tenure he's ever had um, at any club, and that includes Barcelona and, and Bayern Munich, where he won Champions League titles with both of those. So, But I think I think the tenures are getting even shorter um, especially you look at a guy like Conte. Now, granted, Inter had all kinds of things going wrong in the back rooms with budgeting and, and players wanting to leave and probably Conte wanting to leave as well. So I'm not going to chalk up the the surprising departure from Inter after winning the league for the first time in over a decade. I'm not going to say that's just kind of who he is because there was a lot of other stuff going on. But A, I just don't really see an Italian manager sticking around in the Premier League for all that long. But also B, like, yeah, I just I, I don't think we're in an era where where coaches just stick around, really, because there's just so much money to be made from getting fired or leaving and going to another <laughs> club. Like, at any point in in the next five years, you can probably bet bet money that Real the Real Madrid job is going to come open once or twice, and the Barcelona job is going to come open once or twice. And yeah, you're not sticking there long, but like anybody who goes into that is making a ton of money and then getting out. Like, same kind of with Manchester United, same with Chelsea. I mean, they've been that way basically as long as Abramovich has owned the team. Like, they've had really successful managers that only stuck around for a couple years. So, like, no, I, 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 first of all, I do think he goes to United and I do think he makes them better, but I also would be surprised if come 2023 he was still the manager. Yeah. Because <laughs> the, especially for a club like United to just a quintessentially English club. You know, yeah. when you th- honestly think of the country of England, I hate to admit it, but you think a lot about Manchester United. Like, they're somebody that that needs a homegrown or English kind of guy. Like, Ole was a Manchester United player. It made sense. Sir Alex Ferguson is, literally is Manchester United personified. Like, I just don't think an Italian Versace suit-wearing, bowl-cut, head-ass Antonio Conte <laughs> is just going to be the face of that club for a long time. I just don't see it. Yeah, man, go off on him. <laughs> hey, I love him, though, but he won enter a title, so I just hate that he's going to make Man United better. I, he, I think he will, though. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. 
All right, so what's up with Bayern? They played, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Bayern's Bayern. Another 4 0 win, looking really good. And actually, I know you mentioned Pep Guardiola. He actually did not win the Champions League when he was at Bayern. He got close into the semis. Mm. We lost. The last one before Hansi Flick was absolutely uh, Jeff Hanks, in case anybody wanted that bit of trivia. Probably not. But yeah, Bayern, Bayern looking really good. It's been another consecutive, it's, I think it's our third or fourth consecutive four goal game. And we're not allowing goals, which is different from the Hansi Flick era where we would be winning maybe 6-2 or 5-2. Now we're still scoring and we're keeping keeping up on the defensive end too. So, you know, it, it's, a, it's a club that I feel like is one of the stronger clubs we've had in recent years. I think most people would look at us and say that we're Champions League favorites. I don't want to get too cocky because, you know, Champions League, anything can happen. But I feel like we're in a, in a really good spot at the moment. Yeah, Byron... Again, not a whole lot to say there. I'm sure there are a few points clear at the top of the Bundesliga table at this point. But real quickly, I want to talk a little tiny bit of La Liga because I know neither of us watched it. And I knew I was actually excited to watch it, but I just didn't. Uh, it being that it was a Saturday morning, and that's just kind of tough. But El Clasico, Real Madrid taking down Barca. Happy to throw out there that I called this game exactly 2-1 <laughs> to Real Madrid. But your, your old boy David Alaba getting the opening goal yeah. for Los Blancos in this one. Real Madrid with that win moves up into second behind Real Sociedad in the league. They're just one point back, but they do have a game in hand. So I know not a whole lot to say really about that. I just kind of felt like throwing out there that I got the score exactly right. So any thoughts that you want to add, <laughs> feel free or feel free not to. But. Yeah. Oh, man, I miss, miss seeing Alaba uh, on the Bayern side. But, yeah, good to see him. I don't know. I don't know if he this might that might have been his debut goal. I, I don't follow him too closely, but I don't think I've seen him in the headlines scoring over there too often. So maybe that was his big goal. If so, good for him. Yeah. But that does bring up a point you talk about Champions League. There was we did make some picks last week and previewed uh, match day three of the Champions League. So I kinda wanna go back and look at some of the bigger things that happened um, in that. So f- bigger first day, much more so than the second day, but Real Madrid, scroll down here, I was on the wrong match day. They take care of business against Shakhtar, PSG, and a really good game with RB Leipzig that I wish I watched more of. They win 3-2. Honestly, the game I was most excited about, Inter Milan against Sheriff. I was really hoping for, again, I'm calling myself a sympathizer venture, but I was really rooting for Sheriff in this one because I thought if they could just get a draw out of this game, they really had the inside track to getting out of the group. Well, I don't know if it's Inter waking up, or Sheriff all of a sudden becoming conscious and knowing, like, holy crap, we're in the group stages of the Champions League, like, <laughs> realizing who they are and what they are. But they get beat um, rather handily, 3-1. Um, elsewhere, Atletico Madrid trying their best against Liverpool, who just look like world beaters at this point. You talk about Champions League favorites. I think you got to have um, Liverpool up there close to the top of the list at this point with a big win, 3-2 over Atletico. Um, Ajax taking it to Dortmund. Yeah. I know that's something that neither of us saw. I know you probably have some some thoughts on that being somewhat of an Ajax sympathizer as well. Yeah, you know, they heard me sneak dissing on them. Um, and actually, I probably should have done a little bit more research before making that pick. They've been on a run as well. Uh, and then I think the next day they ended up uh, beating PSV 5-0. So Ajax scoring a lot of goals and uh, coming at me for picking Dortmund last week. Yeah, so the group standings, again, this is now halfway through the group stages. In Group A, PSG on top with seven points, Man City in second with six. Bruges hanging around with four, but I don't think it takes too much uh, too much predicting to really see how that one's going to shape out with PSG and Man City probably going through. Then this was where it gets a little bit more interesting. Liverpool really with a vice grip on Group B. Three wins out of three, 11 goals for, five goals conceded, but... They're on top with nine points. Then tied for second, Atletico and Porto. I really need Atleti to come through. I think I have them in the semifinals of our predictions, <laughs> which I do a lot. I think in the in the two years, two or three years I've been doing this pod, I've picked them to make hey, go far in the UCL twice. Little little Atleti sympathizer as well in you. Yeah, kind of. I don't. I just I just fuck with Diego Simeone, man. Yeah, uh, I, f- I feel like he's a really good manager, and he actually is kind of breaking that mold. Talks about managers not really sticking around. He quietly has been at Atleti for for quite a while now, so. Um, they've been good. Your boys, uh, the ugly, the, the crap half of Milan down in the bottom <laughs> of that that group with zero points. Um, mm. Then Group C, again, Ajax taking con- complete control of that group with nine. They're almost certainly guaranteed to go through. 
Dortmund in with in second with six, and then Sporting with three. I don't think there's any worry that Dortmund's going to get out of that. Um, and then Group D, my favorite group of the tournament so far. Sheriff still tied at the top with six points, tied with Real Madrid, and then Inter with four. Really going to keep a close eye on that to see if they can. I'm rooting hard for them to get out of the group, man. Like that'd be so cool. Uh, You'd think. I it, mean, I think don't they play? Uh, Shakhtar either away or home next. I think if they can get that dub, they might be able to secure it. Yeah, so they will. They do play Shakhtar again because again, been halfway through, they've they've played every team has played. Yeah, its group mates, if you will, once, and then we'll have to play them again. Uh, let's see if they're on six points. If they got to nine, would that bring them through? Because if Inter also won seven zero, yeah, I mean. I don't think it would secure it, but they, I don't think they would have to get any more points necessarily. Yeah. I think there's a way it could shake out where nine points would see them through. Um, then next up, Group E, Bayern. Again, same kind of dominance. Uh, Barca in a real fight to get out of that one. They're in third with three points. Um, group F looks kind of close, man. United with six. Villarreal in second with four. And Atalanta tied for second slash third, also with four points. But... I guess real quick, um, final kind of soccer takes here of what has been kind of a surprising UCL group stage again with Ajax and and how Sheriff obviously and a team like PSG looking a little shakier than we might have thought, but still on top of that group. I guess what's been your biggest takeaway from the group stages so far through through the halfway point here. Mm. Uh, you know, this has been kind of one other than the Sheriff. It's kind of panned out like we'd expect. The dominant players have been dominant. Um, I think there's going to be some really good games once we get into the group stage or once we get into the knockout stages because there's a lot of teams that really seem far from the herd and Bayern and Liverpool, and I think Juventus haven't lost yet. So I think we'll be in for a pretty fun tournament. Yeah, I I kind of disagree in the fact that you, you think it's been – a pretty chalk group stage. I mean, Barca being third in this group, I wouldn't have seen even as bad as they've been. Inter and Mo- mm-hmm. both the Milan squads down at the bottom of their of their groups. But yeah, I'm really looking forward to this knockout because, um, again, you got some strong, some very strong teams are going to end up finishing second and thus having to play some big boys. Um, yeah, off the just right off the bat with the one and two seed matchups coming up. All right. Well, that just about wraps on a on a freestyle pod here. Um, getting kind of close to the hour mark, a few minutes for Monday Night Football. But um, thanks again for listening. We'll, we'll have to go back and listen to this one. I'm not sure if it was any better than the other ones. Maybe it was a little worse. Not really sure. I have to go back and grind the tape, um, see what was up. But at the very least, maybe Lath, this is your um, encouragement to, to contribute some to the pre-show. No, oh, it's just, just oh, a thought. Okay. I don't know. You know. <laughs>